We live in a sexually confused culture, and things are getting worse by the minute. And one of the recurring new cultural temptations and tensions is when our children no longer embrace Christian values. Now, that's not a new cultural temptation or tension, but I want to be more specific in this podcast. It's when they no longer embrace our Christian values and they are empathetic to the gay lifestyle. Some believers are behind the times on this reality, thinking the gay worldview won't affect them. One of the recurring questions in this new world that we live in is, what am I to do? Specifically, my child wants me to attend their gay wedding. I've been asked this question more than once. It is a recurring question because this is a big issue. The This idea of the younger generations not embracing historical Christian values and truth. And so I want to deal with this specific problem in this podcast of Life Over Coffee. It is episode 237. The title of it is, My Gay Child Wants Me at the Wedding, What Do I Do? If if you're going through this, then you want to read these show notes, 237. If you're helping someone through this, you want to get episode 237 and and use it as a homework assignment. I have more than two dozen articles embedded here. I have a video here. I have these show notes. You have this podcast. And so you could spend literally three months studying this block of information, episode 237. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you for joining me. I need to jump into it because we have a lot of ground to cover. The gay community has made extensive strides in dismantling our worldview. If you're over 40 years old, you must index forward. If you haven't already, understanding that your children have different influences than what you had, and there is a high chance they will embrace some of what the culture believes. Perhaps the biggest one is about sexuality. Part of this sexually confused pandemic is the acceptance of the gay lifestyle as normal and the indoctrination begins as toddlers. Whatever the predominant worldview is in a culture, the higher the likelihood that people will not oppose it. If you say something repeatedly, many will accept it as truth. When you have politicians, media, evangelistic advocacy groups pushing their ungodly doctrines on you. It makes sense why what used to be evil is is now good. And I want you to hear this next point loud and clear. I am not against a gay image bearer. I'm against the gay lifestyle which is not an anomaly about my belief system. I have more than 1,000 articles, way more, on our website. And most of them, most of them speak out against sinful behavior. But you won't find me hating on anyone, which is a distinction about our ministry, though it should be a distinction with all Christians. Think about it realistically. I mean, just honestly, just for a moment. I do not know a person who loves every imaginable lifestyle. 
If you talk to the love everyone crowd long enough and peel back the onion far enough, you'll find a lifestyle that they don't like. It's just true. It's probably me and my lifestyle. That's fine. I know everybody's not going to embrace Christianity, but you don't have to hate me for it. I don't hate you for what you do. It's a false accusation to say that you hate a person because you don't like what they do. If you do hate someone who believes differently from you, maybe there's something wrong with you, the hater. If your child is gay, one of the most vital things you can communicate to them is your love for them along with your disagreement over their lifestyle. If your child is gay and they want you to attend their wedding, you must walk the line between love for the person and disagreement with their lifestyle. You want a righteous love for the person meaning you believe in God's imperative to live a holy life and you can love the individual minimally as a fellow image bearer. Some people promote their holiness in a mean-spirited way. The parent of a gay child will do this for several reasons. I mean, it's obvious they are hurt. They are disappointed Part of their disappointment is in themselves as they, they're tempted to replay the tape to see what they could have done differently. You don't want to fall into this trap. There are other emotions too, like, what will others think of me? Fear of man is a big deal. Peer pressure we're talking about. Because all these emotional thoughts, it will be hard to focus on the most vital need, which is clarity from the Lord about how to navigate this situation. And so with that in mind, I want to, I want to give you a few things, 14 things for you to consider if your child wants you to attend their wedding or you're walking someone through this dilemma. Number one, be one flesh. Assuming you're married, the husband and wife must agree about what you need to do. Perhaps you don't know at this point how to respond to your child. That's fine. Regardless, you both must commit that you're going to walk this path together as a unified front. What you don't want to do is add another problem to the primary one. This season is not the time to fight a two-front war between you and your spouse or you and your ex-spouse and your child. And so point number one, be one flesh, or you must agree, you must be unified in this matter. And maybe this relationship with your child is revealing something about your marriage. Well, I would appeal to you to take care of that, or at least try to take care of that. I realize it takes two. And so at least attempt to take care of it because you don't need a two-front war right now. Number one, be one flesh. Number two, release your child with your emotions under the Spirit's control and you are one, you are unified with your spouse, you're in the position to lead your child through your decision. I'm assuming your child knows that you love them. And though you don't want to stop communicating that critical message, you want to let them know where you are while releasing them to make their decision. 
release your child, point number two. There were three things I mentioned in that. You love them. You want to communicate clearly where you are. And then number three, you want to release them to make their decision. Number three, don't be legalistic. Guard against falling into the legalistic trap, which is a perspective that thinks that thinks what you do will determine the outcome. It's the person who negotiates in their own mind. It is a mental battle that will paralyze you. It could go like this. If I do go, they will not hate me. Do you see the legalism in that kind of thinking? Or they could say, if I don't go, they will never speak to me again. You can't negotiate this. You have to stand on the truth in a loving but firm way. But don't be a legalist. Make your decisions because you fear God, not because you're afraid of your child's reaction. Number one, be one flesh. Number two, release your child to make their decision. Number three, don't be a legalist. Number four, true Repentance. Another aspect of the legalism monster is thinking that going or not going will determine if the child will repent. This is more negotiation. This is more legalism. This is more manipulation, at least in your own mind. Repentance is a gift from God, not something you can manipulate by your actions. Now, I'm not assuming you're going to go in the other ditch to where you just don't care one way or the other. That kind of passivity and and apathy and inaction, well, that's not appropriate either. You cooperate with God in this process that you are in. But but don't think you're going or not going will will turn the tide and the child will repent. The child will repent when God grants the gift of repentance. You can't manipulate it by your actions. Your responses do matter, but ultimately it's God who grants repentance. So be free to make the right decision, not one that has a pinch of manipulation in it. Point number four, true repentance. Number five, don't take polls. Guard against anecdotal evidence. The temptation will be to take a poll. What did someone else do and how did it turn out for them? Now, there will be those who may come to you, and they will tell you, well, we did this, and and this is what happened. Now, that's fine in a sense, as long as you don't push that farther than, than what you should. And so be careful. Don't take polls. This approach to problem solving is another angle on legalism. You don't want to base your decision on the outcome of another story. Well, they did this, therefore, if I do this, here's the legalism, if I do this, then, well, I'll have the same outcome. No, you want to make your decision. In fact, I have an article that's linked here, and I I appeal to you to click and to read this article. It is so critical on how to make a decision. You must be in faith, in God alone, and not what happened with someone else. Point number five, don't take polls. Number six, purposeful freedom. The Bible does not prohibit you explicitly from going or not going. You have purposeful 
freedom. Purposeful freedom means sometimes you have multiple decisions or multiple options, rather. Let, let's say that you, you're thinking about getting married and, and you have two candidates that you're thinking about. And let's just say in the context of what I'm saying here, there's nothing wrong with either of them. These two ladies are, are Christians. They are beautiful. They, they love God. They, they have jobs. They, they, they've saved money. Uh, they, they, they're independent. Uh, they, it's just, and whatever else is on your list. And there's two of them, and they're identical. They're not twins. You have purposeful freedom. It doesn't necessarily mean that that one is wrong and and one is right. Just be free to make that decision. You could do the same thing. You have two houses that that you're looking at. You want to purchase one. Both of them could be great. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with buying either of them. That's what I mean by purposeful freedom. The Bible does not prohibit you explicitly from going or not going, but you want to make that decision. You want to make that decision. You want to be careful how you decide. You, 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 you can't sit down and, and make it in a vacuum. You want to sit down, for example, if you have other children. You want to sit down with them. Though you have purposeful freedom, you don't make it in a vacuum. You want to make sure that the other children are clear on why you decided while releasing them to be free and what they choose assuming they are old enough to make those decisions, that they are somewhat independent. So number six, purposeful freedom. Number seven, fight for unity. Not just in your marriage, as I said earlier, that was point number one, be one flesh. You don't want a hairline crack in the family on this matter. Being transparent with them will guard against a potential future division. You don't want to be you want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. You want to be honest. You want to be transparent. I realize there's appropriateness there, and so you'll have to gauge that according to where the people are. Loving folks who are different from you is one of the most powerful aspects of the gospel. You see Jesus doing this throughout the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He never compromised the truth. But he knew how to communicate a righteous love. I talked about that earlier. And so number one, be one flesh. Number two, release your child. Number three, don't be legalistic. Number four, true repentance. Number five, don't take polls. Number six, purposeful freedom. And number seven, fight for unity. And then the last seven, number eight, prepping for the future. One of the reasons you want to make sure your child knows your love for them is that this relationship will probably go bust in the future. Not being negative here, but there's a a strong probability. I mean, most normal marriages end in divorce, sadly. There's a strong chance that a gay marriage will go bust in the future. And should it... Like the prodigal son, your child needs to know who they can come to for help. 
Sometimes we have to accept a deferred hope, play the long game, because you're probably not going to see satisfying changes today. You're not going to get what you want today more than likely. So point number eight, prepping for the future. And one of the key ideas with the prodigal son is that when he did go bust and when he ended up in the hog lot of life, he thought about the person who loved him. And that's who he went back to. And so that's one of the reasons you want to make sure your child knows that that you love them. Number eight, prepping for the future. Number nine, the battle and the war. It's kind of tied to prepping to the future. You won't lose your child ultimately. You may for a season, but not forever. They will be back just not according to your current desire or your current timetable. In one sense, it's it's like parenting toddlers. You overlook some stuff because you're working for another day. You're living in that hope. I realize this is different from toddlers. This is intensified, amplified, magnified, and more disappointing. I get it. But just like when your child was two years old and they were doing some some boneheaded things. And then at seven, you learn to overlook because you're playing the long game here. You're not trying to win every battle. It is a war. And and so you want to make sure that you focus on the battle. Well, you do what you need to do. And I'm laying out some of those things now for you to at least ponder. But then there's also a long-term war. Number nine, the battle and the war. Number 10, God is good. Let me put it out there since you already know it. There are no guarantees about your child or your relationship with them. I said point number nine, the battle and the war, that that they will come back. Well, the majority of them do in some way. They soften, they mature, they they, they learn to overlook. They begin to set some things aside. And there are some that don't. And the relationships end in hostility for all sorts of reasons. My relationship with my father was, was that way. Perhaps it would have been better uh, as I became a Christian six years after he died. And he was not a believer as far as, as far as I know, and so that relationship never did right itself. But more than likely, yours will, but I do want to put it out there. There are no guarantees about your child or your relationship with them. This is point number 10, God is good. And so I want you to juxtapose that potential reality that the relationship will stay broken with God is good. And I don't mean it like a mantra. It's real, and it has to be transforming you practically on the ground. Today, you must be transformed by by this truth, the goodness of God, especially when your children are making foolish decisions. And so you have to ask the question, what am I focusing more on? Am I problem-centered or God-centered? You have to be God-centered. The problems are going to come, and they're going to tear away at you. Yes, they will. But you have to know, point number 10, God is 
good. I have an article here that will benefit you. It talks about that. I take Romans 8.28, and I'm asking the question, what does good really mean according to this verse? It's one of the more popular articles on our website. I would appeal to you to click on it and read it. Number 11, isolated conversation. When talking to a person who's making an unwise decision, you want to do it alone, if you can. Perhaps you can do it with your spouse. I'm assuming that your spouse is mature enough to to be part of the solution. When folks are part of a group, they have group think, and there's a lot of peer pressure going on, and, and everybody's manning up, and they're not as transparent because they're in the, they're caving to group think. These conversations that you have with your child need to happen in the best context. Typically, the best context are the private ones. And so point number 11, have isolated conversations with them. Number 12, it's an addiction. Keep in mind that any lifestyle that is outside God's approval is an addiction. If you think of your child like an addict, It may modulate your mind and your emotions from reacting too strongly, too harshly, too regrettably. Being gay is a behavior that speaks to a deeper soul problem. Christians can be so opposed to the practice that they forget there are more in-depth issues here. And I understand why they're opposed to the practice. And you'll see it, these volatile responses, emotive mean-spirited responses in social media. It happens every day. But, but we need to modulate our minds. We need, we need to tone it down just a little bit and think about this person, that this is a lifestyle. It is a sinful lifestyle. That is an addiction. That is like the definition of, a, of an addiction. And so if you think of your child, and again, I'm, I'm making a distinction between an episode and a pattern, Uh, Some people can do something, one and done, two and done, five and done, and then they're over it. But we're talking about a lifestyle, a pattern of behavior, and that is an addiction. So if you think of it like a crack addict, a drug addiction, yes, you can be disappointed in the lifestyle that this person is living and the choices that they are making. But if you're going to help them, you have to understand that there are more in-depth There are additional in-depth issues going on with this person. And so number eight, you're prepping for the future. You're playing the long game. Number nine, there is the battle and they are There is the war, and you want to see what you need to overlook, what what mountain, what hill do you want to die on right now? But you're working toward another day, and you're living in that hope, the battle and the war. Number 10, you're living in that hope because God is good, and it's not a mantra. It's real. The accent mark is on the goodness of God, not the problem that you are in. If that's not true for you, you need to make some changes. Number 11, isolated conversation. Get them alone. Try to pull them out. Cut them out from group think so that you can talk to them in a more private way. Number 12, this is an addiction. 
And so as you think about the behavior and and deal with that in in the ways that you need to, remember there are more in-depth issues. Number 13, resist regret. Regret will hit you in the face, and it will do it several ways. For example, you may reflect on your past parenting practices and feel sadness. This is, is not, this is another angle to legalism that I was speaking of earlier. When you look in the rearview mirror, of course you're going to find failure in your parenting. Nobody parents perfectly. That's not an option, And so make sure that you don't tie what is going on with your children with regret. If there are things that you you need to take care of, that you need to change, then your child right now is an instrument of righteousness in God's hands that he's using to reveal to you that you need to make some changes. But if you linger in that trough, if you linger in that path for too long, regret's going to overtake you. And you'll live under this cloud, and you can't do that. So if regret, or probably when regret hits you in the face, you want to be careful. Or it could be you think about your spouse and how your spouse was not an effective helper, and you get angry. Well, now you have regret and anger because your spouse, and maybe you have a legitimate case against your spouse or your ex-spouse. I understand But again, that rearview look can get you in a whole lot of trouble. In the future, perhaps perhaps you will wonder if you made the right decision today. Now you're moving out into the future, and and you've already made the decision, and and they've been married for five years or, or whatever. And you're looking back, and now you're regretting in the future because the outcome you had hoped for has not happened yet. Make your decisions in faith. Be a good sovereignist. God is good. The accent mark has to go, not just on the goodness of God, but his sovereignty. He has his problem in view. Rest in him regardless. Number 13, resist regret. And then number 14, finally, understand their gospel, your child's gospel. This final key is trying to understand your child's story. I called it their gospel, what they believe, what they have faith in, the thing that is motivating them as to why they do what they do, how they got to where they are, why they believe what they believe. People love talking about themselves. Use this to your advantage. The temptation could be for you to make your points, which means you won't understand them. This is not a competitive event where you're just going to manhandle, bull your way through and make all your points and you don't understand their gospel. There are reasons your child is this way. You must set aside any attempt to stand for righteousness that keeps you from missing the actual diagnosis of your child's soul. There's always a reason why they believe what they believe. There's a reason why you believe what you believe. If you draw it out of them in a non-combative way, you will make 
headway. This is episode 237. My gay child wants me at the wedding. What do I do? I've given you 14 things to think about. I want to wrap this up by asking you a a couple questions. Now, the Bible doesn't say if you should or should not attend a gay wedding, not in an explicit way. And so I trust that these 14 thoughts will serve you as you make your decision. Now, let me make an appeal to you. You need, a, you need someone outside of your family walking with you through this. An outside person will not be as emotional, not as hurt, not as angry, not as regretful, not as revengeful, maybe. And so who is that person? That is the question. Who is that person can, that can walk with you through this? By the way, if you don't have anyone that can walk with you through this, we can't be that, not in the way that you need it. You, you need someone on site uh, walking with you who is competent, courageous, compassionate. They'll be able to do that. And so who is that person? All right, number two, uh, by the way, we will be glad to. And so you can jump on our free forums, and, and we'd love to talk with you and give you some guidance in our remote cyber way. Number two, how much does what others think about you or your child influence you? I put this in the call to action because I know fear of man, peer pressure, is is a big monster. Don't pretend to be unaffected. I mean, perhaps you're, oh, well, I'm, I don't care what people think, and your reaction is, I don't give a fill-in-the-blank what others think. Well, that's that's also a wrong response. Being fearful or being self-righteous is wrong. And, and so I'm asking, how much do what others think? How much does that control your influence, your decision-making? Because that's, that's important, and you need to deal with it. As I said earlier, I, I do want you to use episode 237 as a homework assignment to work through. There's a print button at the bottom of this article, but there are so many links in it. Perhaps what you want to do is just take the URL and bookmark it so that you can use it and share it with others. And... As I said, if you want to come to us, please ask. Just jump on our forums and get your username and your password, and it would be our privilege to to serve you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.